Now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. Today, what do you value and what's it worth? Is the housing market going to crash? And how do you determine your own personal rate of return on your investment? Plus, if that wasn't enough, you're going to get two free chapters from my audiobook, The Backyard Millionaire. If you want a thing bad enough to go out and fight for it, work day and night for it, give up your time and your peace and your sleep for it, if only desire of it makes you quite mad enough never to tire of it, makes you hold all other things tawdry and cheap for it. If life seems all empty and useless without it, and all that you scheme and you dream is about it, if gladly you'll sweat for it, fret for it, plan for it, lose all your terror of God or man for it, if you'll simply go after that thing that you want with all your capacity, strength, and sagacity, faith, hope, and confidence, stern pertinacity, if neither cold poverty, famished and gaunt, nor sickness nor pain of body and brain, can turn you away from the things that you want. If dogged and grim you besiege and beset it, you'll get it. Welcome to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, will I buy You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Mr. David Webb is your engineer. You can find me online at ilovehomeralaska.com. ilovehomeralaska.com. In fact, you can find me there. You can start your property search anywhere in Alaska. Hey, trust me, don't let don't let all the billionaires get the property here. Start yourself at ilovehomeralaska.com. We welcome billionaires too, but it's available for everybody. This is the great land. I've got emails today. I'm going to share an email. A lot of exciting stuff. Plus, like I said, the two chapters of The Backyard Millionaire as performed and narrated by Michael Dukes himself. Absolutely free. What I thought we would do is over the next few weeks, let's just play the whole audiobook for you here. Um, not everybody is going to go to Audible and buy the credits or buy the book on Audible. I'd love for you to hear the whole entirety of the book. So over the next few weeks, we'll play a couple chapters at a time, and I think you'll enjoy it as performed by Michael Dukes. He's just an absolute sensational narrator. Right now, I want to answer your email. You can go to my website, ilovehomeralaska.com, ilovehomeralaska.com, and send an email anytime. 
Lindsay's done so. If you can see, hang yeah. on. This is exciting. I got to set this up correctly. Hold on a second, because this is fun. <clears throat> You'll understand in just one second why we jumped. Okay, here we go. So Lindsay wants to know on a scale of one to ten, how important is a pre-listing home inspection? Okay, on a scale of one to ten, is a very specific question, Lindsay, and I have a very specific answer. The answer is eleven. Very special because if you can see, yeah, the numbers all go to eleven. Look right across the board, oh. eleven, oh, eleven, and most of eleven, the and then amps go up to ten. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not ten. You see, most most blokes are going to be playing at ten. You're on ten here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on ten on your guitar. Where mm. can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. 11. Lindsay, that's my answer. Should you get a pre-listing home inspection? How important is it on a scale of 1 to 10? It's that important I'd go all the way to 11. And I'll tell you why. And it isn't just because I want to support our local home inspectors or your home inspector, where you're emailing from. They earn their money and they got plenty of business. The deal is, though, you do not want to be surprised. It's just, you know, there's nothing worse than getting a surprise in the middle of a deal. So it's important enough that you want to at least consider it. Now, maybe... Maybe you bought your home not that many years ago. Not a lot's changed. Maybe it's not necessary. Um, but if you could avoid a surprise, even to you, then um, so much the better. Now, I'll go further and say that Lindsay had somebody anecdotally tell her that they had a pre-listing home inspection, and then the buyer went out and got a home inspection of their own, and there was a disparity. There was other things in the new report that weren't in the old report, and it actually, in, in their estimation, cost them the transaction because of the new information that came in. There's no way around that. You can speculate as to uh, <clears throat> how that's going to go. You can you could do your best to, you know, you want to get the best home inspector you can. You want to get one with a good reputation and so on. But there's always going to be that second layer of inspection. Not always, but sometimes. So it's okay that somebody's going to bring in their own home inspector and they might come up. It's really unusual they're kind of going to come up with wildly different things. It can happen, but that's pretty unusual. So to answer your question very specifically, I'd say go for it, do it, get it done, get a little punch list of things that you can go and start to tick away at. And uh, again, avoiding surprises is, is very important. Again, if you'd like to email me anytime, do so from my website, I love Homer. Alaska.com. Pricing to sell is important in this market or any market, to be honest. I don't care how good or poorly the market's performing. You want to always price your investment when you're ready to sell it. You want to price it to sell. I'll give you a story right now going on in my life. Tiffany and I have decided to sell one of our rental homes. And we are going to be doing a 1031 exchange. We're going to be reinvesting those dollars. But now we have a conundrum. Do we invest more dollars right now into the property and sell it at peak of market price, or do we sell it simply as is, priced accordingly? I'll get back to that in a minute. Put a pin in priced accordingly. 
the question is, do we do we take advantage of the sweat equity available, capitalize on that ourselves, which is, by the way, not just an investment of more money, but that's also an investment of more time. So do we do that or do we sell it as is, priced accordingly, and let the next person take advantage? We've already remodeled this home once about 18 years ago. And then the question is, like I said, which, which path do we want to take? The conundrum is the exciting part. You know what I mean? We get to choose. That's up to us. We get to decide that. And it's one of the great things that you can enjoy in real estate. And actually, Tiffany and I, we, we think it's fun. So owning this real estate, we get to have, like this morning, we spent a goodly amount of time talking about this. And we recognize we're 100% in control of the outcome of that. It's up to us completely. You are likewise in control 100% of your decision-making. You get to determine what to do with or not do with your investment property. You don't need to wait on some board of directors to make a decision, a CEO to make a bad decision or no decision or do something in a direction that your real estate investment trust, if you will, a REIT, if you've been talked into a REIT investment, might go completely in an opposite direction, antithetical to what you would have chosen to do, but it doesn't matter. Your, your stock in that particular company masquerading as real estate is going to go down or up, but it's going to be out of your control. So when, what Tiffany and I enjoy is, like I said, going through this process ourselves, making decisions 100% of our own accord. And getting back to that price accordingly thing, it's one thing to put a property on the market that is a, quote, fixer-upper or in need of lipstick. Like this property we're talking about, we put a new roof on it uh, just a handful of years ago, has a good foundation, it's a good property, it just needs lipstick. Um, is that offensive? I don't think so. I say that all the time. It just needs lipstick and a little bit of makeup and its hair done. How about that? It just needs a day at the beauty parlor and it'll be worth more. And so what we recognize that. So the mistake made often is when somebody brings a property to the market priced accordingly, accordingly to what it could be worth if they'd invested this time or money to make it this polished apple sitting on the shelf. Instead, they want to sell it as is, where is, at a tomorrow's price of what it could be. And so we're just, we're just not going to do that. We're going to decide to do one of two things. Put the time and the money into it and sell it at the peak of the market price. Or we're going to take equivalent to what we think it will take dollar-wise and an equivalent of uh, an amount of time. And because your time is money. As a buyer, you have to think about your investment that way as well. Yes, sweat equity doesn't have to take dollars out of your pocket, but it does take your time and attention away from other things that might likewise be taking money out of your pocket. So you have to consider your time. So we're going to put that into our evaluation, and we're going to come up with the, note, the, the property. We're going to be you know, coming up with two plans. And I think what we're actually going to do is kind of take a two-pronged approach. Sell it at the discounted price. If it doesn't move quickly, like inside of 14 days, then we'll just take it off the market and put the time and attention back into it and polish the apple, put it on the shelf. I bring this up to say a couple different things. One, price accordingly to what you've got, not what you want. That's number one. Number two, you have complete control over what you do with your real estate. And isn't that exciting? I think it is. I think it's one of the most exciting aspects of real estate investment. Stick around, coming up on the Backyard Millionaire, we're going to get meta, that's right, as the kids say, and listen to a couple of chapters of 
the backyard millionaire when we return You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story, along with Mr. David Webb, bringing you what my mom calls the greatest show on earth. You can download this episode and all of our other episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, wherever you get podcasts, or you can go to our website, ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash podcasts. In a moment, I'm going to play a couple of chapters of the narration of my book by Michael Dukes, The Backyard Millionaire. He does such a great job bringing the story to life. I think you'll enjoy it. And as I say, over the course of the next few weeks, we'll just listen to the entire book together a couple chapters at a time. Michael does a really phenomenal job telling stories that other people have written. And I actually enjoy listening to my own story that I wrote through Michael's words. Plus, a little bit later, we're going to be talking about what do you value and what's it worth and is the housing market going to crash? We go now to chapter one of The Backyard, Millionaire as Read by Michael Dukes. Chapter 1 The first time I met The Backyard Millionaire, I wasn't impressed. Don't get me wrong, I wasn't unimpressed either. To be fair, I simply didn't think anything. He was just another guy in a flannel shirt and paint-splattered pants. That having been said, I can tell you I'll never forget that first encounter. Just be sure you understand, it wasn't memorable for the reasons you might expect, rather, the exact opposite. He walked up to the counter I was manning, and yes, manning is the operative term, the ladies were relegated to cosmetics and housewares, the men got the hardware and sporting goods sections. It was a different era. We men folk swapped fishing stories with patrons and spooled line on fishing reels, handled guns and sold box after box of ammo. For a guy like me, no high school diploma, let alone a college degree, this was home, a place where I'd more than likely spend the rest of my working days. If you'd asked me then, I would have said I was happy about this prospect. After all, some people were out of work altogether. The truth was that this scenario made me sick. I felt a sense of unease about being stuck at this or any station in life. There was something in me, a longing for success as yet unearned not even imagined for that matter. I didn't really know what I wanted. I just knew, don't ask how I knew, but I simply knew there was something more for me to do. The backyard millionaire smiled as he approached, his eyes bright and alive. He looked to be at least 70, maybe older. Looking into his eyes, though, you'd have guessed a much younger man was living in that weathered body. Hello, young man, and how are you this glorious day? I'm fine. Can I help you find something? Fine. There must be a story there, the old man replied. I thought, oh boy, going to be one of those days, huh? No story, just a lot to do. How can I help you? You know, one day, not that long ago, well, actually it was a very long time ago. What am I saying? Oh, time, it does fly. Sir, can I help you? I'd lost any semblance of patience with this man. Not sure why. I really didn't have any big agenda for the day. The shipment of bolts wasn't begging to be put away, as long as I did so by my lunch break. The old man stood up straight, put both hands down on the glass counter, and looked me dead in the eyes. I'm not sure how you can help me, but I'm pretty damn sure I can help you. Excuse me? You, I said. I can help you, for damn sure. You lost me, sir. What is it you think you can help me with? I asked. This was getting weird. I thought maybe he had dementia. 
I half expected a caregiver to walk up and grab him by the elbow at any second, returning him to the home. You really are, aren't you? Lost, I mean. I could see it in your eyes. You don't know why you're here, do you? Sir, I actually have work to do. If you're looking for something in particular, I'd be happy to help you. Otherwise, I walked in here looking for something, and now I've found why I'm actually here. I was supposed to meet you. He stepped back from the counter and looked me up and down. What does that mean? It means that I can help you, if you'll let me. Sir, I don't mean to be rude, but what item can I help you find here in the store? I didn't mean to be rude, but I was. Tell me about your education, said the old man, like he hadn't heard a word I'd said. I'm not, I replied. You're not what? I'm not educated. I looked from side to side when I spoke, suddenly very self-conscious. Can you write? I'm assuming you can count, or you wouldn't be working here. Of course I can write and read, and yes, I can count. That's not what I was talking about. I don't... What? You don't what? I don't have an education. I didn't even graduate high school. I felt my shoulders slump as I spoke. Fantastic! You and I have that in common, then. I wonder what else we have in common. The old man smiled even wider. The fact that this disheveled man standing in front of me hadn't graduated from high school provided me little to no comfort. I looked around again to see who was within earshot. Luckily, we were still alone. There's nothing good or fantastic about not being educated. I mean, I'm not stupid, I know that much. That's just it. You're not stupid, and neither am I. Then why celebrate not having an education? I asked. Oh, I never said I wasn't educated. I just said, like you, I don't have a diploma. I grew up on a small farm, and for most of my youth it was an all-hands-on-deck approach to life. My education was in the fields instead of the classroom, but believe you me, I am educated, and so are you. What makes you think I am? You can read, write, and count. You speak well, and you have a look in your eye, a look I recognize. But, I stole a glance to my left and right, what really matters is having an education. He was about to speak, and I held up my hand. I mean a diploma, a degree of some kind. All I have is some basic skills that any fourth grader's got. That makes me educated? I don't think so. Son, I want to tell you a story. Look, I have no doubt that you're a nice person, but I've got work to do, so if you don't mind... I don't mind. You're exactly right. We both have work to do. Let me buy you lunch. What time is your break? I looked at him, held his gaze for a long moment. Then I looked down at the floor. Whatever. I take lunch at one. See you then. Let's meet at Wendell's. He makes the best grilled cheese in town. Okay, I said with an air of defeat. Looking back at it, I don't know what my problem was. A meal out was actually quite a treat. My usual lunch consisted of a bologna sandwich and a juice box in the break room alone. As he walked out, he stopped and turned back to me. My name is Oscar. What's yours? August, I said. Okay, August. See you soon. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, How to Create Wealth Where You Are with What You've Got. I'm Chris Story, and this is my book, The Backyard Millionaire, as read by Michael Dukes. Here's Chapter 2. Chapter 2. The normally dry and mundane task of stocking the nuts and bolts section was especially mundane after my conversation with The Backyard Millionaire who, of course, at the time I assumed was just a nutty old man, pardon the pun. The idea that I'm educated? Simply delusional. My father and mother both went to college, and they had good jobs in respected industries. 
My parents had retirement packages and insurance plans that even included dental. My sole hope for the future was that after punching a time clock for 25 to 30 years was Social Security, an insolvent plan in the hands of questionable politicians. Everyone knows that. In fact, what I actually had was the absence of a plan. A bad plan would have been better than what I had put together. I looked at my watch and realized it was one o'clock. Great, I'm going to be late for my free lunch. Not that there is such a thing. This would come with some sort of strings attached, no doubt, if it came at all. For all I knew, the old kook was back at home playing Scrabble with his fellow inmates. If you're picking up an attitude, you're not wrong. I had one. As I look back at myself over the span of these past 25 years, it is clear to me that I was bitter, and that the bitterness was coming from a place of fear. So I've forgiven myself for the negative attitude. I ask you to forgive me as well, or at least be willing to overlook it. I walked into Wendell's exactly 15 minutes past one, thinking for sure the old guy had given up on me. He hadn't. From across the dining room, he waved a hand and smiled wide. Oh, great. Glad you made it, he said. I approached the table, took off my coat, and hung it on the back of the chair opposite him. I looked around, that sense of unease and self-consciousness rising up in my gut again. Sorry I'm late, lost track of time, I offered, without the sincerity I really did feel. I was not proud of being tardy. After all, the old guy had indeed held up his end of the deal. No problem, a working man's time isn't always his own, right? You are a slave to the time card. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I'm no slave, I said with an air of defensiveness. I hope you like grilled cheese. I took the liberty of ordering for you. And if you haven't tried Wendell's tomato bisque, well, then you haven't lived. Oscar completely ignored my retort about being owned by the time clock. Why are you doing this? You don't even know me. Do you like grilled cheese? Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? See there, I'm getting to know you. I also know you are a lot like me. I wasn't sure what to say. No matter what I said, he would somehow twist it to fit his viewpoint. So I sat there quietly. Neither of us spoke for too long. It was getting weird. Okay, I said with some hostility that wasn't warranted. I don't know what you're up to, but I'm not interested. If you have some scheme or multi-level marketing proposal, you can save it. I've heard plenty of them, and I'm not remotely interested, so don't waste your time. The old man looked at me with a crooked smile and took a long drink of water. He said... I've been approached myself by many would-be empire builder. Pyramids were built to hold the dead, and that's no way to live. I caught myself laughing at his statement, not intending to enjoy myself or show any signs of bonding. This guy was making sense. But still, what was so interesting about me, a clerk in a hardware store, one he'd just met, by the way? Sir, you might mean well, and I appreciate the lunch, but I still don't have a clue why I'm here, or why you even care to get to know me. What's in it for you? What's in it for me? Good question. He moved his water glass to the edge of the table and pushed his napkin and silverware aside. From his shirt pocket, he pulled out a pen. Not your average pen. This was the kind I'd seen the president use to sign bills into law on TV. He drew a circle on his paper placemat. He put the pen down and looked up at me. He locked his eyes on me with intensity and was feeling even more uneasy. What do you see? He asked. A circle? What else? Nothing, just a circle. And that was your first lesson. What? How to draw a circle? I smirked. I'm at least that educated. I know my shapes. He laughed, and I smiled and let my guard down a little more. I looked around the restaurant, hoping no one I knew was nearby. Your first lesson is how to see what isn't there. 
you see a circle. That's it. What you're not seeing is the most important and what you need to look for. What am I not seeing then? I asked. All the possibilities. Like what? I was more confused now than before. You see what you want to see, and I'm asking you to take off your blinders, open your mind, and see what isn't there. Look again. Saved by the bell, the waitress arrived with our food. She placed the grilled cheeses down and then cups of soup. Oscar sat back, put his hands together, and looked up at her like she was Miss America. Catherine, please tell Wendell he has outdone himself. This meal looks divine. He said this, in all sincerity, about a grilled cheese sandwich. I looked up at Catherine, who meekly smiled. As she turned away from our table, I'm convinced I saw her shake her head ever so slightly. She appeared to be as confused as I was by his manner. Look at the crust he developed on the bread. This is just the way my mother used to make them. August, did your mother make you grilled cheeses? Oscar, I don't... What are we doing here? Having lunch. Let's dig in, Oscar said. I picked up my sandwich and took a bite. It was good. Actually, really good. Try the soup. It's life-changing, Oscar said as he dunked his sandwich into the thick bisque. The soup was amazing, too. I've eaten at Wendell's before, many times, actually. But today, this meal, at this time, was the best one yet. Every bite was like something new. Could it be that Oscar's enthusiasm was rubbing off, or just a new blend of cheese or spice in the tomato bisque? We ate in silence for a while. I was almost done with my sandwich when I realized neither of us had spoken for some time. A gap like this would normally be uncomfortable, but here with Oscar, it seemed natural. I looked back at the circle partially visible under Oscar's plate. What on earth was he talking about? What was I not seeing? August, tell me about your name. Oscar said with a crooked smile. I was born in May, I replied. Not my favorite topic, but everyone asks. Usually this reply shut down the conversation. I saw the mental game in their eyes. The math hit home, and enough said. Usually. But one thing I was learning about Oscar, usual, didn't apply. Well, how about that? That's fantastic. So your parents obviously have a good sense of humor, as well as a zest for life, yeah? Sure, I guess... I'm the one stuck with the odd name, though. Odd? It's not odd at all. What a fantastic name. Are you still close to your parents? Oscar asked. Sort of. I mean, they're busy. I'm busy. Too busy to keep in touch with family? That means you're busy doing the wrong things. One of the greatest mistakes we make in this life is to confuse being busy with being productive. Know what I mean? But I am busy. I work six days a week, and on my one day off I have a million other things to do, I said with enough defensiveness to arm a small nation. August, how many circles do you see here? Oscar moved his plate aside, revealing his placemat. One, I said. That's what I thought you'd say. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story. When we return, what do you value and what's, this, what's it worth? Stick around. We'll be right back. Cowboy Ethics by James P. Owen. Live each day with courage. Take pride in your work. Always finish what you start. Do what has to be done. Be tough, 
but fair. When you make a promise, keep it. Ride for the brand. Talk less, say more. Remember, some things are not for sale. And know where to draw the line. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd have worked for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I'd thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away Listening to the Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Powerful question just ahead. Is the housing market going to crash? We'll address that. Plus, we'll talk about the four home formula. But right now, I want to ask you another powerful question, and that is this. What do you value and what's it worth? What are your values? And think about this. I had an epiphanal moment here recently reading Peter Thomas's book, Be Great. Peter is a great guy, by the way. I reached out to him and asked if he'd be a guest on this program. And he said, you know, he goes, he's not really doing a lot of appearances. He's not really doing a lot of interviews right now. He said, but you know what? He goes, I might. Let's just talk about it. I said, well, look, let me get further into your book. And, and then I'll come back to you and we'll work something out. And he said, okay, sounds good. So Think about this, the difference between principles and values. Principles, what? Those are things that, that are immutable, unchangeable. You're not going to move your principles year to year, but you're going to move maybe your values, meaning what do you value? At some point in your career, you might value a position. You might value prominence. You might value a higher salary. You might value in retirement time with your family. You might value your health. There's a great variety of things that you can value and put value on and determine for you what it's worth. And it doesn't have to look like mine. I think in the social construct of America, we've agreed on certain things. We're not going to kill each other unwarrantedly. I mean, there's self-defense, but, you know, we agree in principle murder is bad. We agree not to steal. We agree not to covet other's, you know, wives or possessions, right? There's certain things that are principles baked into the design of our society, baked into a quality of life. Then there is what do you value? Henry David Thoreau said, the price of anything is the amount of your life you're willing to pay for it. The amount of your life you're willing to pay for it. Isn't that cool to think about that for just a minute? The price of anything is the amount of your life you're willing to pay for it. Peter Thomas, in his book, Be Great, makes the case that you should put your values in writing. Like, we're accustomed, you and I, write down our goals. 
we look at our goals, we review our goals, we, we have strategy meetings with ourselves, our board of directors, or our, our partners, like Tiffany and I are the board of directors of our own company, of our own um, incorporated YOU. You know, it's our incorporation, and we have, we are the chairman of the board, we are the executive team, we're the C-suite, we're all that for ourselves in our investment world. And yet we have these strategy meetings, we write down what our goals are for the year, we write down what our... Um, goals for the next year are going to be a five and 10 year goals. Where do we see ourselves in this number of years? That's wonderful. But here's the thing. Life can pass you by while you're attempting to achieve certain goals and suddenly what you actually value or what you say you're, you really value and put value on also slips away and passes you by. And that is frightening. That is frightening to think about that in the pursuit of something you become someone you do not want to be. So Peter gives us an, a couple of examples, and he's very sincere in his book. He talks about what he values, and here are his top four values. In his book, Be Great, Peter Thomas says he values, number one, health, two, happiness, three, freedom, four, integrity. And of course, inside of all of those are things like his family, his family's health, his health, Happiness means time with his family. Freedom means the time and scope of ability of his day to control and do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And integrity means he's going to be true to himself. He says today, and he's 82, 83 years old, he says today, everything I do, and I mean everything, relates to my values, which were what? Health, happiness, freedom, integrity. If something comes along that doesn't fit in at least to these, one of these four values, it must fit one of these four values. If it does not, I don't do it, period. Unequivocally. It's not, well, I'll think, no, it's a do not do. You might think, oh, sure, he's 82 years old. He's earned the luxury to say no to certain things. He adopted this mentality in 1976, and it, he's never looked back. He ended up building the largest real estate firm in all of Canada, based on this model of putting first his health, happiness, freedom, integrity. Again, Henry David Thoreau, the price of anything is the amount of your life you are willing to pay for it. There's a parable that, that says something like this, that if you imagine your bank account had a deposit every morning, you wake up and check your bank account. And in that bank... Every morning, without fail, every single day, every single morning, no failure whatsoever, not even one day, is $86,400 deposited every day. Wow. Wow. $86,400 a day? That would be exciting. I mean, that's amazing. Here's the catch. In this thought experiment, you're required to spend every dollar, every red cent, spend or invest every day, and whatever's left over, if you fail to do so, is gone. It does not accumulate. So this morning you had $86,400 deposited into your account. By the time you go to sleep tonight, whatever you've not spent is gone forever. Doesn't accumulate, doesn't add to tomorrow's balance. Tomorrow's balance will likewise be $86,400. Well, the parable goes on further to say that's actually how many seconds you're granted every single day. 
in every 24-hour period, you have 86,400 seconds to invest, spend, waste, squander. You get to choose, and they do not accumulate. So when today's seconds are gone, they're absolutely gone, and there's no looking back. Say love is more precious than gold. are listening to the Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Kind of reminds me of the, the story that Stephen Covey used to talk about. What if you get to the top of the ladder of life only to learn too late you've leaned it against the wrong wall? What are your values and what are they worth to you? It's a great exercise and do it in writing. I think that there's real power in that. All right, let's get to it. Is the housing market going to crash? Well, we're going to have to wait just one more minute. And I want to talk about disclosures and your own personal return on investment when we return to the Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. You're listening to the Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story, your host for great adventures in all things prosperous and possible question, is the housing market going to crash? There's two ways to answer this. I'll give you the short answer first. Yes. How do I know? How do I know the market's going to crash? Well, see, crash is an relative term, isn't it? Let's replace the word crash with correct. Is the housing market nationwide going to correct? Of course it is. How do we know? It always does and always has. Why do you think a starter home doesn't cost $2 million? Because at some point, inflationary measures and protections and so forth and corrections in the market take a hold and slow like a sea anchor an otherwise upward rocket ship of pricing it has to so i was talking about peter thomas earlier he wrote the book be great he shares a story in that book about how in 1975 he was riding high i mean just really soaring all across canada as well as American investments in real estate. He was doing phenomenal. Then the market 
corrected in a big way. He was over-leveraged, and he went from $150 million of net worth. Okay, this is 1976. Think about that. They'd probably put him at billionaire status today, relative dollars. $150 million net worth to negative $70 million in less than a year. 22% interest rates rose to, and he went virtually bankrupt. He didn't quite go bankrupt. His business partner did and announced on live television that he was going bankrupt, unbeknownst to Peter, had no clue he was doing so. And he crawled back out of that hole. And what he had with him were his values. And what he learned from that process was how to be careful and how to be more careful in his investments going forward. So the long answer, I guess I would ask to, and this sounds a little tongue-in-cheek, but is the housing market going to crash or correct? Long answer is, so what? Yes, it might, but so what? Because here's the thing. You are investing for the long run. You are not getting swept up in overpaying. You are not getting swept up with the, the rush and thrill of merely beating somebody, you are investing for the long term. You're investing in real estate with multiple streams of income, lasting multiple streams of income. You're investing for rent returns. You're investing for appreciation. You're investing for sweat equity. You understand that buy and hold equals gold. Now, I will warn you, if you're playing the real estate market like a day trader, if you are playing the real estate market a little bit like you're going to Vegas and hoping to run up and beat the house, the house will beat you. However, if you're investing correctly and you're not over leveraged, you are not over leveraged, not just in your, your debt to income of real estate, but also with revolving personal debt and you're leveraged properly, you've purchased with the idea of multiple streams of income. And let's just put it this way. Let's say you're investing like Warren Buffett. Okay, what happens when a crash comes along or a market correction in the world, in the business world, in whatever world Warren Buffett's in, buying Coca-Cola, buying Wells Fargo, buying Berkshire, or creating a Berkshire Hathaway investment program, whatever it is, he's investing for the long term. He's not investing for the short term. And when the market goes down, he is buying. When the market's rising, he's reinvesting into his own business. If you do likewise, you will prosper. If I had a way of buying a couple hundred thousand single family homes and I, and had a way of managing, the management is enormous. It was really a problem because they're one by one. They're not like apartment houses. So, but I would load up on them and I would, I would take mortgages out at very, very low rates. I want to be a billionaire so freaking bad by all of the things I never had I want to be on the cover of Forbes magazine smiling next to Oprah and the Queen Oh, every time I close my eyes I see my name in shiny yeah, a different city every night. Oh, I, I swear the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. 
That's right. Want to be like Oprah and the Queen. The truth of it is, what you really want is to control your own destiny. Part of that is knowing what you want. Part of it's being able to determine for yourself your own predetermined personal return on investment in any property that you invest in. Here's the thing. I don't care about somebody else's metric. I don't care what metric you use so long as you have thought it through. In other words, you might subscribe to a particular podcast or a newsletter or a, a 10x in type investor or somebody who invests in, in brags about how many doors they own and so forth on the internet. And that's kind of their qualifier for who and how they are and their big shot. Great. You can follow them and learn something from them. Oh, good. They've got their name on the tail, <laughs> the tail of their jet. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm thrilled for them. However, their rate of return, their style, and their methodology with which they measure a successful return on an investment doesn't have to mean anything to you. Yours is personal. Okay, sometimes you're investing purely for cash flow. Like maybe you don't really care so much about... Um, the, the ultimate appreciation of a property. I know it's one of the multiple streams of income we just talked about. But remember a story I told you about a few episodes ago. Gary Eldred said he purchased a property for $100,000. Ten years later, he sold that property for $100,000. He all the while had been making something on order of thirty dollars or $40,000 a year net proceeds from that building. Over the course of the ten years, it did everything he wanted it to for him. He didn't need it to have made appreciation. He was thrilled with the tax write-offs and the actual income over time. Well, that was his measurement. Somebody else might have looked at it and said, man, you bought it for a honey and sold it for a honey? You lost out, brother. What you doing? No, that was his style and that was his measurement and his metric and it worked for him. Now, sometimes I will tell you this, I'll invest in something, Tiffany and I will invest in something just purely for appreciation. Like, okay, it's a bit of a dog. It's going to take some hits over these next few years. We'll subsidize it a little bit because we see where the value is going. Even still, that's a longer term. We're not doing this in a day trade style. It's something that's going to be a longer term investment, but we don't necessarily need it to spin off a lot of cash. And that's okay. That's sometimes. Sometimes it's just purely about the cash flow. And then other times, again, it's a combination or a multiple of all those. And sometimes it's purely emotional. I'll tell you, uh, this is just anecdotal. This is not a strategy with which I'm promoting. It's purely an anecdote. But I sold a multifamily property to a gentleman who had about 20 years prior to the purchase lost it in a foreclosure. He'd had a financial reversal. He'd lost this building. And then, some 20 years later, it became a point of pride for him to be able to be into a position to purchase it back. Did it matter how much income it was going to be making for him? He had the money to buy it cash outright. He had reversed himself again, this time to the positive, and he was in a place where he could do it because he wanted to. It was a good deal for him financially, but also there was emotion in it. So you get to determine what's your personal ambition. What is the threshold of return you're looking for? What will make the difference for you? Now, again, you can read all the experts, and I encourage you to do so. You can follow a lot of people. I encourage you to do so. Listen to other voices. But when it comes down to making an investment, you have to be happy with the return you're going to get on that investment. It's your personal plan, not just what some guru tells you. So my metric and I would love for yours to look similar to this. This is one commonality I wish every investor would take into consideration. Ready? Buy and hold equals gold.
That's it. That's the only thing I hope you and I have in common. Other than that, you get to determine what's your rate of return look like. And that's up to you. And that's another exciting thing I love about real estate. You get to decide. Somebody asked me recently if they were paying too much in property taxes. And I said, yes. And they said, well, do you need to analyze it? No, I just know already you're paying too much in property taxes. I mean, the reality is that maybe they aren't. And that's it's very being, being a bit facetious, but I'm make, making a larger point. Um, when it comes to are you paying too much in property taxes, I ask you a couple questions. What's your assessed value? What do we think the fair, as compared to fair market value? And what's the mill rate? Because see, your government will diffuse the situation by saying, oh, but we, don't, we haven't raised the mill rate in 10 years in your borough or your county or your area. But then the assessed value is going up, up, up with their analysis of what they think fair market value is. So just be willing to take a cold, hard look at it and engage respectfully your elected officials and say, look, um, I'm a happy taxpayer. I want to pay my fair share, but I'm not comfortable paying more than my fair share based on the fact that somebody from another locale might come in and say, I'll be willing to pay X dollars for a property near mine that I'm not interested in selling. So I always want our boroughs and our tax assessors to be behind the curve, not ahead. So I'm encouraging you to get comfortable with challenging, respectfully challenging your tax bill. Again, we want to pay for schools and roads and bridges and, and health care, you know, your hospitals. We want to pay for these things. Of course, you want to pay your fair share, but not more than your fair share. Because here's the thing, that money doesn't disappear. The money you save in not paying in taxes doesn't just go into the ether. You're spending it by and large. Most dollars not spent in property taxation are going to go into the local economy and spin around into the local economy many times over. So never be afraid to say, hold on, you're assessing me too high or this mill rate is too high. And let's have a reasonable conversation with our tax authorities about that and our elected officials more specifically. Well, thank you for being here. I, I love this time with you. And I just encourage you again, if you have not already, subscribe to the show on either iTunes or Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get podcasts. You can go back and listen to all the episodes, including our other show, our other podcast called On Top of the World Radio, Radio One Purpose. For all of us here at the Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story reminding you that yes, I do mean you really can make a million bucks in your own backyard. We'll see you next time. <laughs>